Hello and welcome to Christian Constitution, the most shocking podcast on the internet, where I'm going to talk about the Bible and all the things that your church is too scared to talk about. Uh, today, uh, as I promised in my first episode, I said it my next episode I was going to talk about sex. Uh, this is the most important subject, period, of the Bible. It's the most important subject that the uh, churches should be talking about. Uh, this subject should be talked about uh, at least once a month in every Christian denomination church in the United States or anywhere for that matter. Uh, it happens to be a very serious problem in the United States. Uh, really, it's a problem everywhere, but uh, I can speak of the United States simply because I am an American. Uh, we are currently experiencing a great deal of unrest in America. You have inner city youth protesting, rioting, looting, stealing, uh, killing uh, officers. And of course, this is uh, reaching a pinnacle, although I don't, I don't believe we're done. I think it's going to get much worse. Uh, but we're seeing something that is the result of our sexual immorality in this country. Now, I want to get into that in a great, a great bit of detail, but I want to uh, first talk about sexuality in the Bible. I'm not going to tell you something here about Adam and Eve. It's going to shock you. Uh, you've never heard this before. Uh, I am speculating a great deal, and I admit this up front. When I talk about the sex of Adam and Eve, I am speculating, but I think I'm going to be able to uh, show this thoroughly, that uh, there is more going on than most people realize when they read the story of Adam and Eve and their original sin. First thing, though, I want to talk about is what is what makes a covenant marriage. You know, the Bible talks a great deal about covenants. It's all about covenants. Uh, the covenant that God made with Adam is a covenant of blood. All covenants are sealed with God, with blood. Uh, you know, the animal skins that God covered Adam and Eve with, you know, that meant an animal had to die. Uh, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament Israel was all about bloodshed. Um, and then the new covenant, the covenant of uh, Christ's blood shed on the cross for our sins. Again, blood is uh, a mark of a covenant. Now, the in the relationship between a man and a woman, when a man penetrates a woman for the first time, she bleeds. That creates a covenant. In the Bible, if you'll understand that, and when you read the Old Testament laws on marriage and, uh, you know, several of this stuff out of Deuteronomy 22, uh, you'll realize why this is so important. Some of the, some of the laws. Now, for example, and I'm going to, I'm going to read right out of uh, Deuteronomy 22, verse 28. If a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, in other words, her father has not promised her to another man, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out. Now, it says here, they are found out. Uh, then the man who lay with her shall give the young woman's father 50, 50 shekels of silver, in the, and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her. In other words, he has penetrated her. The covenant has been created. 
and he is to pay her father because uh, this is payment for a, a, you could say, betrothal after the fact. Um, and she is, she's, you know, they are not permitted to divorce because this is a covenant. It is sealed with blood and it is perpetual, just like all of God's covenants. They are perpetual covenants. They are not, God does not break his covenants, nor does he allow us to break ours. God hates divorce. Uh, God hates, by the way, indiscriminate sex because sex is deeply tied uh, to our emotions. It's deeply tied to family. It's deeply tied to uh, the society. And what we do with sex in society will determine what's going to happen to society. Uh, you know, because sexuality is so deeply ingrained in our consciousness, it's deeply attached to our hearts. It's meant to, to be a very sacred thing. It's not to be treated like a game. It's not to be treated like, uh, you know, let's just feel our pleasures. Uh, this is a, a, a certainly a very pleasurable thing, but it's meant to be a private sacred thing between husband and wife only. Now, you know, I've been going to church for, church, I've been a Christian for 30 years, I've been going to churches for 30 years, and not one single time in 30 years has any church ever preached on biblical uh, sexuality, nor the sin, what is considered to be sin in sexuality, sex outside of the marriage covenant, or uh you know, that's sin, indiscriminate sex, uh, copulating the way people copulate today is sin. And it needs to be, it needs to be taught as sin because it's having, it's, it's wrecking havoc in our culture, which I'm going to point out here in, in due process. Uh, well, anyway, so, you know, the betrothal process is a process of a father, protecting his daughter. The fact is men are sexual predators and they're perverts. I mean, that's just what men are by their nature, by their fallen nature, by the way. Uh, and, and and I'm going to talk about that fallen nature, which is very, very interesting. This is why I'm going to kind of, I'm going to kind of draw a uh, analysis here of what happened with Adam and Eve. And I think you'll see it because what happens uh, you know, eating the forbidden fruit in and of itself is not sinful. Yes, God told them not to eat the forbidden fruit. And since you ate the forbidden fruit, God uh, brought curses on Adam and Eve. And he also covered them from their nakedness. Now, to, to paint a picture of this, uh, by the way, I got to go back to a story, that something that I experienced uh, many years ago, many, many years ago. When I was going to uh, a large Baptist church, I was somewhat involved. I was in a Sunday school class, went to the Sunday school class regularly, got to know lots of people. One individual in this church and in the Sunday school class uh, actually did, I hired to do some painting work for me. And we were working together and, uh, you know, we were talking about the, the church and, you know, sundry things like that. And he said to me, which is fascinating, he said to me, is, isn't your wife a member of the Man Killers Club? Now, as well as I can remember, this is what he called it, uh, the Man Killers Club. And I was like, what, what in the world are you talking about? And uh, he said, 
you know, we men, we work all day long. Um, we come home, our wives who are stay-at-home moms are hanging out at the pool with the kids all day, gossiping all day. You come home, she's not done any of the housework. The house is a mess. No, fo- no food has been prepared for the evening. He goes, it's the man killer's club. And I was like, you know, I told the gentleman, I'm not going to say his name. I told the gentleman, I said, well, I'm no, my wife works. So I guess my wife's not a member of the man killer's club. I said, but if you're upset with that, why don't you put your foot down? I will never forget his response. He says, well, if I do that, she'll cut me off. Now that taught me something very powerful that day. And my response to him was not not fully informed, not fully biblically informed, but I am fully biblically informed now. And this is why I'm going to share this in this podcast. What he has in his marriage is ungodly. Two things are happening. One, he has made an idol of sex. And two, she is manipulating her husband with sex. She knows how important sex is to him, and she uses it against him. Now, that incident is not at all uncommon. I've heard many men complain. I've been in, uh, I've been in, uh, uh, Bible studies, men only Bible studies, and the men get to know each other and get to talking about their their marriage life lives and their you know their wives and and so forth. And this expression of men is very common that they're frustrated with their wives. Well, the frustration is uh, two things: one, he's made an idol of sex; he worships it, and she knows it, and she uses it against him. Now, this brings me to Adam and Eve. God told Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit, and that if you eat of it, you will die. Well, you know, if you study God's word enough, you realize that God is just. And my initial reaction is, why would God say you will die for eating a fruit? How just is that? Well, I submit to you that that's not just. And I will also submit to you that the eating of the fruit was not the sin that God was referring to. It was merely an indication of a sin that's already going on. Now, let me paint a picture for you. The serpent brings or comes to uh, Eve and and, uh, tempts her. It says you will, if you eat of this fruit, you will uh, have the knowledge of God or or something to that effect. Okay, so he's tempting her. Now, what's interesting is, is Adam's sitting back, basically observing what's going on. And she takes the fruit. Now, a loving husband, uh, you know, he's he's in he's been given the basically the authority to rule over his wife. Now, I know that sounds awful, a man ruling over his wife. Ruling over means protecting her. He is to guard her and her from outside influences, bad influences, ungodly influences. I mean, God came to Adam first. God created Adam first, and then he gave to, he betrothed to, he gave away a woman to Adam to be his wife. Notice the giving away of a woman uh, she, she was under God's protection and she gave him over to Adam. Uh, this is the same thing with a father and, and a daughter. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but anyway, so you have an, 
you have a situation where Adam is sitting back rather than stepping up and saying, no, no, honey, no, no. Uh, God told us not to eat that fruit. And I'm not going to let you be deceived by the serpent here. He should have protected his wife. My theory, now you, you will not hear this anywhere else. This is only coming from me. My theory is, is that Adam had already begun to make an idol of sex and Eve had already begun to manipulate her husband with it. And he knew that if I stopped her from doing what she wants to do, she's going to cut me off. So Adam sat back and let, let it unfold. Now, the eating of the fruit in, its, in and of itself is, was not the sin. It was an indication that the sin had already begun. God told Adam, basically, you're to have no other gods before me. In fact, God was the only God Adam knew. Uh, but this was also embedded in creation and embedded in Adam. He knew that he was to worship God alone. But when Eve came along, he began to have another God, so to speak. He began to make an idol of sex. And Eve had started to manipulate him with sex, perhaps in some way, uh, in some way threatened to cut him off. And so in the, in the incidence of the fruit, he was afraid she was going to say, I'll, you know, I'll cut you off. So Adam stood back and let her do what she wanted. Now, this is my theory of that. Because, again, you, you, we have to, as Christians, wrap our minds around the truth of sexuality in the Bible and what God intended it for and how it was meant to be. And it was not to be perverted. It was the covenant covenantal act between one man and one woman and it is not to be broken uh, this is why the death penalty god put the death penalty on both adultery and homosexuality because they are both treason to the family family is the lifeblood of any society and because we have from family breakdown in american culture and we've had family breakdown for 50 years. Uh, we are now reaping uh, the havoc that's the result of that. We are reaping the havoc of churches not teaching biblical sexuality. And what we're seeing in our inner cities is the result of that. Now, you think these people you know, going on in Seattle, they've taken over several blocks in Seattle. There are several other cities where they're rioting, they're burning down buildings, they're stealing everything. This is a result of lawlessness. And the reason there's lawlessness is, is the result of there being a misdirected sexuality in our culture. And churches don't teach this. They're scared to death of teaching it. As a matter of fact, the preacher and his wife probably were, were uh, having sex long before the marriage covenant happened. Way too many of that is going on. Or they're just too, you know, the preachers are just too plain scared to go against cultural norms. You know, it's a norm today. It's, you know, you got to try the merchandise before you buy it. That's the norm today. Well, it's, it's a bunch of garbage norms, and the churches had better, better quickly stand up against this and put a stop I'm not saying put a stop to it as if they can put a stop to it, but they better start preaching against it. They better start convicting people's hearts that this is a colossal sin. So what has happened in the inner city is very easy to understand. 
You know, if you watch the news and commentators, and even if you're Christian conservative and you watch conservative commentators, they're talking about uh, socialism and they're talking about lawlessness and they're talking about uh, all kinds of things that's the problem. And none of them are hitting the mark. The problem is a breakdown of our sexuality. Now, in the inner city, there are no fathers. The overwhelming majority of the crime is committed by fatherless children, uh, specifically fatherless men. The, the crimes are committed in our culture by single men. They are committed by young men and men without fathers. That's who's committing the crimes. And the reason they're single is, is because the girls being raised without fathers are not taught or not protected by their fathers. And a little girl that doesn't have a father oftentimes will look for a father role model in a boy, in a young man. And she will, you know, as the old adage goes, uh, and this is a very important adage to kind of burn into your memory, if you're, especially if you're a young person, Men give love for sex. Women give sex for love. Young girls looking for a fatherly love, since she doesn't have a father, will look for it in a young man. And so she will give sex to, to obtain his attention. And lo and behold, she's doing this, you know, in, in, in inner cities, they're doing this at a much younger age. Uh, you're looking at little girls being sexually active at 13 years of age, 12 and 13 years of age. They're looking for a dad. And 14, 15-year-old boys are looking to get lucky. They impregnate these girls and they go on about their lives. They, they leave these girls as soon as they find out she's pregnant. And so this is a, a child that's going to, another child that's going to get raised without a father. What she needs is a father to protect her from some boy. The betrothal process in the Bible is a protection of a father over his daughter, protecting her from some predator male, some sexual predator male, betrothing her to a young man who is uh, obviously giving a positive witness to be a provider, to be a, a, a good citizen, so to speak. He has a job, in other words. Uh, this is a fatherly role, and when these girls have no fathers to protect them, they are on their own. They look for a fatherly figure. He dumps her. She gets pregnant after you know he dumps her after she gets pregnant. Another generation is raised without fathers. Now the the boys without fathers, you know, a boy with a boy needs a father basically to beat his ass. Uh, he's going to be a liar. He's going to be, you know, his, his na nature is to do certain things. The father there is to protect his, his son from running wild uh, by beating his ass, you know, frankly. Teaching his son a trade. Teaching his son responsibility. Witnessing to his son how he is to treat a woman through how he treats his wife. Uh, this kind of thing. Boys need this from a father. So boys that grow up without fathers, uh, this is where uh, gangs come from. They become a family for misplaced men. The inner city gang is a family to this uh, male or these males that have no fathers. 
And so, the, you know, when they gang together, they become even more criminal. They're criminal organizations. What we're seeing in the inner cities going on now, this Antifa, is nothing more than a well-organized gang. Now, it's a different type of gang. It is a gang organized by socialists and communists around the world to use these people into a gang mentality uh, to riot, pillage, and destroy. But this wouldn't be going on if these inner city kids had families, had fathers. This is why sexuality is so important. Girls are basically guardians of sex. She's the one that ultimately makes the decision, yes or no. If all the girls in the culture said to the boys, no, you can't have it until you marry me, and this obviously would be directed by a father protecting his daughter, then the, fa- the, boy- the young boys wanting to get the girls is going to be more responsible. He'll go get a job if that's what it takes to get the girl, to get the betrothal from the father. He will be a responsible individual. This is why it's so technically important for fathers to be involved, and this is why the churches need to be teaching sexuality from a biblical perspective. Biblical sexuality, not ignoring the subject and letting nature take its course. Fallen nature's course is a disaster. And therefore, it is my conclusion that uh, a neutral church on sexuality is a disaster and quite frankly i am sick of going to a church for 30 years and all i hear is god loves you god loves you god loves you god loves you i'm sick of hearing god loves me i know god loves me i don't need to hear it a million times every sunday what needs to be heard is the young people in the church need to be heard that their sex is their sex outside of the marriage covenant is sin Fathers need to hear it so that they protect their daughters. Little girls need to hear it so that they abstain. Little boys, well, even though they hear it, as long as there's a girl that'll give it to him, he won't hear a thing. So our morality is protected by our girls. Our girls are going to be guarded by their fathers who are Christians, and they need to be told their role. So all of this is critically important, and you're not going to get this from any other podcast. The breakdown of sexuality began with Adam and Eve. It was not eating the fruit. Notice, if you'll notice, God covered their nakedness. Now, there's something to that. I mean, you can say, gosh, you know, Lee here is stretching out a little bit here, saying that the first sin was their sexuality. The Bible doesn't say that. It says they ate the forbidden fruit. I'm telling you right now, the forbidden fruit was merely an indicator to God that the, that the sex sin had already begun. And, of course, the serpent couldn't wait for God's indi- indicator to be disclosed. Uh, so that's why he tempted her with the fruit. If they hadn't fallen into sexual sin, they would have resisted eating the fruit. What the young people need to be told in the church is that a, a, a little reality Boys don't respect girls that are easy. They like to use them. They like to have them, but they don't respect them. If a girl wants respect, she will abstain from sex. And she will find respectable boys that way. 
you know, I can give you an example of something that uh, occurred when I was in college. I was in a co-ed fraternity, a business fraternity. It was co-ed, so there's boys and girls in the fraternity. And there was, uh, you know, it was party on. It was fun times. And, of course, you know, the kids were drunk. The kids were sexual. The kids were telling sexual jokes. The kids were, they were hooking up. But there, uh, there was this one girl that stands out in the fraternity, and I, I often wondered why she was in the fraternity. She was a Christian. She was as straight-laced as they came, and she was, she was pretty. So the girl, you know, the guys really liked her because she was pretty, but the guys really liked her because she was respectable. And don't get me wrong, the guys, they love to have their, funds, their, their fun with the wild girls, but it was, it was interesting because if you stood back and noticed whenever this particular, and I won't say her name, when she, whenever she came around, uh, she was in the fraternity, but she wasn't heavily involved. She didn't come to a lot of the events. But whenever she did come around, I noticed that the boys straightened up. They respected her because they knew she was a good girl. This is true of, of, this is true of all girls and boys. Yeah, you're going to find some exa- exa- uh, exceptions to this, but they were good guys in the fraternity, even though they were good dudes and they probably would have looked for a good girl in marriage. That doesn't mean they wouldn't have fun with a girl that's going to give it away for free. There's an adage, the farming, a farming adage that people need to understand. Why buy the cow when the milk's free? Uh, there are many a, a, a couple that date for years and years and years and years, and she's wanting to get married, and he won't marry her. Well, why would he marry you? Why buy the cow if the milk's free? This needs to be taught from the pulpit. This is why the, the father is, it is important for a father to protect his daughter from a predator male. Uh, and betroth her to a man that he has approved that's, yes, this man is respon- this young man is responsible. He will take care of my daughter. He's got a job. He's, he's not a criminal. He's more than willing to wait until she's married. All this stuff. And the girls need to understand, keep your pants on. If you want a future, daggone it, keep your pants on. None of this is taught from the, the pulpits today. And it ticks me right off. Because when I look at societal breakdown, I know what the source is. I know precisely what the source is. It's these stupid churches that are too cowardly to tell the truth. Too cowardly to, oh, we're not under Old Testament law anymore. So we never look at Deuteronomy 22. You know, let me tell you a story about that. Because the church that I'm in now, I was, uh, you know, I was, I came to the, and I came from another church, which is a, an amazing story, which I plan on telling uh, in a podcast, just not here. So it was a bad, very bad experience. So when I came to the church I'm in now, I came in with a lot of caution. And uh, so I would come to the services. And of course, I went to the through the uh, new members court class or whatever, and where they approved you as a member after you've been through the class, yada, yada. Uh, it's a Presbyterian church. But I took my time in getting too heavily involved. Well, after a while, I decided, well, maybe I'm a little more comfortable now. I don't think these people are crackpots like the last church I was in. So uh, I decided I wanted to be involved in a Bible study. So I approached one of the gentlemen that I knew taught a class and, and asked him about it. He says, yeah, our, our, we're on a break during the summer. Back in the fall, we're going to start up again. 
I said, well, let me know when you're going to start up again. So fall came around. They were going to start up Sunday school class. He goes, yep, we're going to start this date. He goes, we're going to do Deuteronomy. And, of course, churches today don't study Old Testament law. They just don't. They're scared to death of it or ignorant of it or whatever. So when he told me that, I thought, this is great. We're going to study Deuteronomy, and this needs to be studied. I recognize that it needs to be studied closely. Well, we got into the study of Deuteronomy, and we got talking about law because Deuteronomy is a great deal about law. And uh, one of the, actually this man's wife says, well, we're only under two commandments. And of course, I tried to articulate that when God, uh, when Jesus said, uh, you know, somebody asked him, what is the two greatest commandments? He go, what are, what are the greatest of the commandments? And he said, there are two great commandments, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So there's only two commandments, according to this woman. That's a summation of the 10 the Ten Commandments are made up of two tablets. The first tablet has to do with our relationship with God. That's a vertical relationship. The next six commandments have to do with our relationship with each other. That's a horizontal relationship making the shape of a cross. One tablet has to do with our love of God. The next tablet has to do with our love of each other. So Jesus is giving us a summation of the two tablets of the law. He's not saying there are only two laws now. Moreover, the Ten Commandments themselves are a summation of all of the law throughout the Old Testament for the exception of ceremonial law. I will get into this in more detail in another podcast. The Ten Commandments are our moral demands upon us by God and our moral demands depend, uh, upon us by God within reference to each other. And there's sundry moral laws and application laws throughout Deuteronomy. And so this woman in this class bought into this absolutely stupid notion that there's only two laws. She's been listening to, uh, in, in all likelihood, she's been listening to, and, and she's, not, she's not unique. This is common in churches today, which by the way, you know, the Bible in, uh, in the New Testament says women are to be silent in church. And she's, she's speaking up, trying to teach men what the Bible means by the Ten Commandments, which I've always found to be interesting. She should be quiet. Uh, but it's a, it's a funny thing because in this church, uh, rumors are going around that this woman wears the pants in her family. Which I would submit to you that that's another example of the Adam and Eve problem. I'll just leave it at that. Anyway, so the class started to get a little tense because there was another gentleman in the class that had the mind frame that I have that the law is not ended, that this is, a, a, you know, a summation of the law. We need to look at the details of the law and see how they apply. And, and you know, she's in there saying, well, if we're looking at the law, you're missing the grace of God. And it's like the law is grace. She doesn't understand that. She's been listening to false preachers, probably big money preachers on television, uh, you know, preachers that write books and make lots of money. And they tickle the ears of people and tell them stuff's not true. Even though some of these preachers can teach a great deal of truth and a great deal of good stuff, even though. You can find tons of preachers that are much, much worse. Still, these preachers are missing the boat on law. They don't know what they're talking about. They're clueless. And if you listen to enough of my podcast, I'm going to teach you some details of the law. 
And you will see, yep, that still applies. In fact, anybody that says it doesn't apply has lost their mind. And I'm going to show that to you. But anyway, about five weeks, six weeks into this course, we come into the class and this man's teaching the class. All of a sudden he starts teaching from Hebrews. You know, I'm thinking, I don't know why we're looking at Hebrews. Maybe we're, maybe it's just a sidetrack, you know, to kind of help us understand Deuteronomy. So I was patient with it and we went through Hebrews and another week or two went by. I think I missed a week or something on vacation or whatever. But anyway, when I came back and, and we were doing something else and the, the teacher said, well, if anybody, you know, at the very beginning of the class, he says, anybody have any questions or concerns, please, you know, ask. So I raised my hand. I said, why didn't we finish Deuteronomy? This man's wife stands up and says, we finished Deuteronomy. I mean, literally, we didn't get through five chapters of it. And she's saying, we finished Deuteronomy. And I said, no, we didn't. Now, the man sitting behind me goes, no, we didn't. Now, it's clearly somebody's lying. And I can tell you right now, we did not study all of Deuteronomy. Yet this woman is the woman who said we only are on under two commandments is now lying and saying we finished Deuteronomy. This is the kind of thing that's going on in churches today. It's, it has way too much influence by, by women. In fact, I will submit to you that the problem in churches today are, going back to Adam and Eve, there are way too many men who have made an idol of sex, who follow their wives and do whatever their wives want. So instead of a man leading his wife and guarding his wife from false teachers in, in a church and false teachings, he basically says, honey, we'll go to church, whatever church you want. So in churches today, it's the men following their wives to church rather than men leading their wives to church. And I think this goes right back to the problem of Adam and Eve. He's giving her whatever she wants as long as she don't cut him off. And so church leaders and church decision makers quickly can recognize they need to preach and teach and operate to the sensitivities of women because they are the decision makers as to who is going, you know, why they come to this church. That's why so many churches have programs for the children. They have children's programs. Uh, the church's job is to teach God's word. It's to teach God's word to the children. It's to teach God's word to the young teenagers fully and thoroughly. It's to teach God's words to the adults. And it's to point out first and foremost the sins of or what God defines as sin, period. It's not to gloss over anything. It's not to fluff it up. It's not to... Well, let me tell you something. The overwhelming churches today are teaching that God loves everybody. God loves you so much. Let me tell you something. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I will talk about that in greater detail in another podcast. But that is designed to, to reach the sensitivities of women. The churches today are doing what they do for the women and the reason is, is because the men have made an idol of sex. And we have societal breakdown because the church will no longer teach biblical sexuality. The family breaks down. The inner city becomes lawless. And we have a serious problem on our hands. And I lay this stuff at the feet 
of cowardly preachers and sex-worshipping men. This has been the most shocking message on the internet. I don't have a problem saying it. I'm convicted of it. I'm sick of it being silent, not spoke of anymore. So that's why I'm doing this podcast. In my next podcast, I'm going to talk more about the inner city problem, the lawlessness, and how a Christian society would handle this lawlessness. We're going right back to the commandments of God. We're going to look at the commandment, thou shalt not steal. Now, when you have silent churches saying we're not under Old Testament law, well, it's no wonder society now allows wholesale theft and destruction of property. Because Christians don't know what to do about it because they're not being taught. Instead, they're being taught the nice, soft, therapeutic garbage that we're no longer under any law. So the average Christian doesn't have a clue how the law applies to your culture. They have no clue how they're supposed to vote, what their candidates are supposed to be doing, because they don't know diddly about God's law. So the next episode is going to be about the looting and the, and the stealing and the destruction of property that's going on in these uh, riots. And I'm going to tell you why it's happening and what we're supposed to be doing about it. And watch, you'll see the church has done nothing about it. Thank you for listening.